0: All right. Good morning, church. So if you guys have Bibles uh, with you, I'll have you mark two places this morning. Uh, First place is 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and the second place is Matthew chapter 5. So again, if you'd like to follow along, I'll be uh, reading those passages only in English. Uh, (laughs) As well. But if you like to mark and you have a a language that you're more comfortable with, you might want to mark those in your Bible. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 9. If you don't know where that is, your Bible has a table of contents in the front. You can look it up there uh, and, and find your way to 1 Corinthians 9 and Matthew chapter 5. And while you're turning there, I have a question. Is anybody here this morning that's just on the island for a short vacation anybody come you're on vacation Awesome. Awesome. God bless you guys for coming. That's it. We found this church because we were uh, from the States on vacation and said, you know, we're on vacation, but that doesn't mean we're on vacation from God. So let's find a group of, of um, people to fellowship with. And we ended up here and we keep coming back uh, every year to the uh, International Bible Church. So God bless you guys. I'd love to meet you afterwards and see where you're from and, and how long you're on the island. Um, so thank you guys for coming. First Corinthians 9. Matthew 5, I think you've got them marked, and I hope that over the next 30, 35 minutes, I'll sufficiently confuse you that you'll need to go to Sunday school to figure out what in the world I was talking about. I had a young guy from our church that said, Pastor, we believe you are smarter than Albert Einstein. you know Albert Einstein? See, he's so smart that when he talks, only a few people can understand him. But when you talk, nobody understands you. So I don't know if he's right or not. Let me read uh, to you and with you 1 Corinthians 9, not the whole chapter. We're going to start in verse 19 and read down to verse 23. You'll get a sense of what we're going to talk about. And uh, the title for the message will be Servant Evangelism. Servant Evangelism. 1 Corinthians nine nineteen says, For though I am free from all men... I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. And to the Jew, Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak." I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be partaker of it with you. Let's pray. Well, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would, if you haven't already, kindle in this church, kindle in our lives, in my life, a heart, a desire, a passion for people who don't know you. That we would be willing to hear what you're saying, what Paul is saying and apply it to our own lives, how we can live that way as servant evangelists. Lord, we pray that this church would continue to be a, a lighthouse and a beacon on this island for people that are passing through and for the people that live here and stay. It's in Jesus' name I pray, all God's people said, amen, amen. So my question as we start is, how does the word evangelism make you feel? Uh, what is your experience with evangelism? Now, maybe you don't know. I'll, I'll let you know. The word evangelism uh, is the English, obviously, uh, combined from two Greek words. One word means good, and the other word means message. It's the word angel. The word angel is in there, and angel is a messenger by definition. So evangelism is the idea of sharing a good, a good message. There's a good message, and don't we live in a world where we need some good messages. And I, things are, are seeming to come unglued all over the globe, but in the Bible, there is good news. There's a good message. So again, I'll ask you, what's your experience with evangelism? Does it make you afraid? Does it, is it intimidating to you? Are you uncertain about how do I share my relationship with God with other people? Maybe I don't know what to say. Maybe I don't know how to do it. Maybe I don't uh, i don't feel it's my job. Maybe that's what the pastor does or the ministry team does. So again, I ask, what's your experience with evangelism? How does that make you feel? Now, let me commend those that are part of the International Bible Church. In my experience, you guys have seemed to do very well at caring for one another. There's a closeness here. There's relationships here. There seems to be a love uh, of one another and a care for one another. That's the commendation. Much like the letters in the book of Revelation, the commendation is also followed by a challenge. And I and I don't know the answer to these questions, so you'll have to tell me, how is International Bible Church, and how are you individually doing with sharing your faith with other people, leading other people to Christ? When's the last time you had a chance to build a relationship with a person who had no idea who God was, Or maybe a wrong impression of God. And through a friendship with them, through sharing a common interest, you were able to talk to them about the truth of the God that you love and who loves you. And through that, they got saved. And they got baptized. And now they're walking with the Lord. Their whole life has been transformed. Have you had that experience? Has the church had that experience? I've been asking around. I said, when is the last time there's been a baptism? through the International Bible Church. And it seems that it's been some time. Now, I don't say that to be condemning towards you. I say that to say, I think this is why the Lord has me to bring this message to you. There's an aspect of your Christian life that may be being ignored or overlooked. And that's what I'm here to talk to you about this morning. You see, it's easy as a Christian to exist in what we call the Christian bubble. Do you know what the Christian bubble is? That's where all of your relationships and all of your life all exists around people who are already Christians. Now, you would have no way of knowing this, but I never went to seminary. I don't, I didn't live in that world. I didn't grow up heading that direction. I was a blacksmith. Uh, in Dutch, I learned this morning, hoofsmit, hoofsmit, horseshoer in English, uh, German Hufschmied, I don't know it in any other languages, but that's it. So our story is that that's how I, I got saved working in that profession. And I started teaching Bible studies. And the people that came were people that lived in the horse world. They they worked with horses. They rode horses. And those are the people that I had relationship with. And then I became a pastor. And all of a sudden, I was in the Christian bubble. And my ability to an opportunity to evangelize actually became worse. Because I was living and working with only people who were Christians. And that was no fun. I mean, it was fun. It was good. But I had they all knew about Jesus. It got boring. And so I had to, in my life, find other ways and other places to insert myself among people who didn't know God. Now, the story of our church is that we started with two families in a living room, me with a a Bible and... And uh, we passed the plate between two couples. Okay, passed it to my wife. Hey, honey, put some money in. And the church grew from there. We didn't have a praise team. We didn't have anything except a Bible and a desire to live for Jesus and let God do with that whatever He would do. And as a result, the church has grown over the years. The danger of that is that now we have things. We have a budget. We have money. We have a building. We have a nice building. We don't have a building. We have a campus. We have multiple buildings. And the danger in that as a church is that you become inwardly focused. And when you become inwardly focused, you begin to die. In Israel, there's two bodies of water. There's more than that, but there's two I'm going to focus on. There's the Sea of Galilee. Water comes in. And then water goes out via the Jordan River down to the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea only has an inlet. It has nowhere for the water to go out like the salt pans. It only collects the water, never gives it out. And as a result, it is what? It is dead. The Sea of Galilee is full of life because it takes and it gives. The Dead Sea is dead. So with that introduction, I'm going to draw your attention back to first corinthians chapter 9 and and let you know that the uh the the background the context of this passage is that the apostle paul is talking to the church about their freedom and the willingness to give up freedom for the sake of love and he's using the idea that there was problems with uh eating certain kinds of food. The Jews didn't eat certain kinds of food, certain kinds of meat sacrificed to idols. But the Gentiles, the non-Jews, had no problem with that. And this was creating a real controversy. They couldn't go out to lunch together because the Gentiles wanted steak and the Jews wouldn't eat it because they didn't know where it came. It wasn't kosher. And so it was starting to trouble their fellowship. And so Paul says, look, I know you're free to eat any meat you want. You're, You're not saved by the food you eat or the clothes you wear you're free, but for the sake of fellowship, you should be willing to give up some freedom and freedom to eat meat. Paul says, "If eating meat would stumble somebody that I love, then I will never eat meat again." That's that's a, that's love, isn't it? Somebody, how many of you like to eat your meat? Ah, I need need my right. So he says, "I'm willing to give that up." And so in that context, he's saying, "Look, look at all the ways." that as a believer, as a pastor, as an evangelist, I've given up my freedoms in my life for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of people being able to hear God's word and receive it. One of the things he gave up is every time he traveled, he never collected money from the people in the church where he was preaching because he didn't want people to misunderstand why he was there. So the other churches would support him, Like, I'm here supported by our church in America, so I can come here and preach the gospel to you, not at any charge to you. Otherwise, you'd say, well, I don't know if we can trust that guy. Maybe he's just about the money. So there's a time and a place in our life to give up freedom for the sake of the gospel. And that's where Paul is. Now he's applying that to evangelism. He says in verse 19, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. I'm going to give you seven rapid, I hope rapid fire, quick things that might help you to enhance or to have a more vibrant evangelistic life, to be more successful at sharing your faith with others. Seven things. If you want to take notes, you can count them. The first thing is that Paul had freedom. Did you see that? He says, though I am free from all. Presently, under no obligation to any group, to any ethnicity, to any nation, to any denomination. He was free. He's not saved by sharing the gospel. He's not doing it under pressure or out of guilt or obligation. Do you know free people just do a lot more for the Lord when they sense that they're free? You ever feel constricted? You ever feel constrained? I hate that feeling. And I just want to fight against whatever is constraining me. When people are set free, all of a sudden they begin to do more. So at our church in the States, and I hope here, I hope you feel free. Paul says, I'm under no obligation. Matter of fact, I'm not a slave. I am a mature son or daughter of God. I take responsibility, but I'm not treated like a slave. Did you know God doesn't treat you like a slave? You feel that way? God doesn't treat you like a slave. He treats you like a mature son or a mature daughter. He shares with you his heart and gives you the chance to take responsibility in his family. So the first thing he had, he had freedom. The second thing he had is he had a plan. Do you see what his plan is? He says, my plan is, although I'm free, I'm going to be a servant to everybody. You know where he got his plan? Can you take a guess? Does that plan sound familiar? Jesus came not to be served, but to do what, church? To serve. Why there's a good plan. How about I just serve people? That's a plan that all of us can do. You might say, Pastor, look, there's people in the church that are just gifted evangelists, and we should just let them evangelize. But Paul would say, you might not be an evangelist, but you can be a servant. And if you can be a servant, guess what else you can be? An evangelist. And he says, I have made this decision from my freedom. I'm going to make my decision to be a servant to all. Literally the word slave. I'm going to make myself, I'm going to meet people where they are, and I am going to get involved with their life in what they're doing for their benefit. That takes sacrifice. I mean, I've only got a certain amount of time, a certain amount of relational capacity And Paul says at least some of that I'm going to spend with all different kinds of people, people that I meet, people that are part of my community, and I'm going to meet them where they I'm not going to expect them to come to me. I'm going to go to them. I had a friend back in the States that said their church's evangelistic plan is we unlock the door on Sunday morning and we answer the phone if it rings. That's their plan for evangelism. Paul had a radically different and a quite successful plan. He said, I'm I'm going to meet people where they are, and I'm going to serve them. Because he knew something else, he had a goal. Did you see his goal? He says, that I might win the more. That I might, notice the word might, that I might. In his goal, with his goal, he was realistic. Let's be realistic. You're going to talk to people, you're going to serve people, and they're not going to get saved. And you can't walk around with resentment. Well, I did what I was supposed to do and God didn't do his part. There's no promise that people are going to get saved, but there's potential. This passage is full of potential. And he says that I, that I might, that I might win some, or actually he says that I might win the more, the most. So he was realistic with his goal and he was ambitious. He wasn't satisfied with one or two a year. And I hope you're not either. He was very ambitious. The word in in my New King James version is win. It's also the word better translated gain. It's a term not from competition, but from the marketplace. When you go to the store, when you go to the grocery store, you take with you money. Right? I hope you do. Otherwise, you leave very hungry. You take with you money. And in the store, you find something that you like. My wife and I, it's chocolate croissants. Now, the store has fixed a value on a chocolate croissant, and I feel like I'm getting my money's worth. When I trade that money for that croissant, I'm getting something of value. I'm giving up the freedom to have money for the joy of having a croissant. Are you tracking with me? I'm giving up money, but I'm gaining something of, in my opinion, greater value. Chocolate croissants. Now take that silly example and apply that to people. How much is it worth to you to see someone, the future history of their whole family radically transformed? What's it worth to you? Who did it for you? How did you first hear? Who sacrificed it? Well, my earpiece is going to blow off here. Who sacrificed so that you could hear for the first time? For me, it's it's a skill you can learn. Anything I can do to start a conversation at a restaurant, at the gym, at the beach, wherever you go, there's ways to start a conversation. Can I let you in on a little one of my secrets? When I meet a person or when I see a person and they have tattoos... That is an invitation to me to start up a conversation because it's a place where I go, hey, tell me about your tattoo. People love to talk about it. It's there for a reason. So for me, it's an invitation to start a conversation not knowing where that will lead, but there's possibility. What if that conversation leads to some connection where we find we have some things in common and now we're striking it's hey, let's get coffee together. Let's talk more. I'm getting to know you, and you're getting to know me. He had a goal that maybe, maybe. Now, the fourth thing, if you're keeping track, he had flexibility. That's verses 20 through 22. He had flexibility. He wasn't locked into, this is how you do evangelism. And this is who does it. This is how our denomination does it. Well, we only, we only evangelize to people that are like us. None of that for Paul. He wasn't locked into a system. He wasn't locked into one right way. And he gives us some examples to illustrate how he's made himself a servant to all. Look at verse 20. He says, and to the Jews, I became as a Jew that I might win Jews. So Paul cared about his own people. Paul was a Jew. Yes? Yes. Say yes. Paul was a Jew. If you're awake, say yes. Paul was a Jew. He was Jewish by culture, by nationality. And he in, in Romans he says, "Man, I would give anything to see other Jewish people know Jesus, to see what they have through Jesus." So how's Paul going to reach cultural Jews? He's going to embrace when he's with them. He's going to use the fact that he's Jewish, and he's going to connect with them in their Judaism. He speaks their language. He speaks Hebrew. He can converse with them. He can make a connection as a Jew, and he's going to engage in their traditions. Why? To be together with them so that they can see what his life in Christ is like, and he hopefully wants to make them jealous of what he has in Christ. He's forming a connection. By the way, we just said goodbye in our church to a young couple from our area heading to Romania. We sent them off to Romania. Do you know where they're going to minister in Romania? They're going to minister in a deaf church in Romania. They only use sign language. And they had to learn Romanian sign language because there's different sign languages all over the world. They had to learn Romanian sign language so that they could go to Romania and reach people who don't use a spoken language. And I just thought that was amazing. I thought that was incredible. So how's Paul going to reach cultural Jews? He's going to be Uh, culturally Jewish. He's going to use that to his advantage. And to those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. Well, how will Paul reach strictly religious Jews? Jews that held to the letter of the law, who had strict religious culture, strict religious practices. Well, he's going to use that aspect of his life. I, I get invited to places where Here I I love coming here because I can wear flip flops. It's okay that I wear flip flops, right? And and a light shirt. I can dress casual at home. I dress casual. But there's some churches I've been invited to preach where if I didn't wear a suit, they wouldn't even listen to anything I had to say because to them, wearing a suit is a sign of respect for God. So if I want them to hear me, I have to wear a suit, and I'm willing to give up my right to be comfortable. I think suits were designed by people that had never worn one. And I know this. Do you know why women live longer than men? Because they don't ever have to wear a tie. That's why. You have to meet people where they are. And you have to relate to people differently. So you have to have a sensitivity. You have to be a good listener you can't be thinking about yourself. You have to think about them. Be aware of who they are, how they feel, how they think. How, how difficult is it for older folks to reach a younger generation? Yeah, how hard is it? At home, it takes work. The youth these days—they have, they know things. They have, they use language and words that I don't know what they're talking about. They have acronyms for things, and there's a whole culture, a whole youth culture that I have to ask them about hey, tell me what that means. Tell me about this thing called TikTok or Facebook. I mean, I don't know. It may be horrible, but it's your world, so I should know about it. Parents, you've got to understand the world your kids are living in if you want to reach them for Christ. Rather than distancing yourself, what we tend to do is we distance ourselves judgmentally from people rather than engaging them where they are. But Paul says, notice, he says... For those who are without law, as without law, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ, that I might win those that are outlaws, so to speak. So there was a whole group of people from Greek culture or Roman culture. They didn't care about kosher. They didn't care about religious traditions. They didn't care about any of that stuff. And Paul says, well, how am I going to reach them? I have to meet the irreligious, the unsaved, the sinners where they are. Isn't that what Jesus did? How do you get to be called a friend of sinners? Not just an acquaintance. Not just someone who knows a few sinners. But someone who was a he was friendly to sinners. Now for some people in church, that's radical. Because all we want to do is distance ourselves from a dark world. But how will a dark world ever see the light? unless we bring it, in a non-judgmental... Jesus sat at the table with a group of tax collectors and they felt comfortable with Him. Now, He did not ever, and Paul doesn't say that we should go and do sinful things. He doesn't say to get drunk with those who get drunk. He's not saying that. That's a sin. He says, I'm never so free that I don't still operate by the law of love and by the, the impulses of the Spirit of God in my life. I'm not free from that. But relative to the things that I can compromise on, I'm going to make a connection. One of my favorite ministries that our church has done in the past, which COVID interrupted, is related to verse 22. To the weak, I became as weak that I might win the weak. Some people are so afraid to share their weaknesses. We spend our life proving how strong we are. I started attending and going to what we call the soup kitchen. It was a place for homeless people that didn't have any food, didn't have a place to live. And we would go there. The church that it it took place in would feed them, but we would go, folks from our church would go to build relationship with people that were homeless. And we would share in their weakness by meeting them where they are. And you know what? We saw tremendous fruit from that. And then they would be going, we'd be week after week after week, we're sharing lunch together, eating the same food, talking about their lives and what they've been through, sharing our own weaknesses. And then when something bad happens, when something really goes wrong, they ask, can you pray with me? Absolutely. And then they say, we want to come to church. And I say, well, there's the, the church where this was happening is about 30-minute drive from where our church is. And they would say, we want to come to church. And I would say, well, this is the church right here. You can go to this church. And they say, no, no, no. We want to come to your church. And we would pick them up in a van, drive them 30 minutes to our church, and drive them back. How does that happen? Relationship. Relationship. To the weak, I became as weak that I might win the weak. So he now he gives a summary statement. And he says, I have become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. In any way, in every way possible. I like this in the New Living Translation. It says, yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. When our church was small, We didn't have a church building. We met in, in schools. We set up the chairs and then we take them down. It was just, we were a portable church, but we had an office in the middle of our little town and we called it common ground. And it was sort of like a coffee shop and it was based on the new living translation of this verse. I try to find common ground with everyone. If I have any experience in my life, if I have any, a hobby, a, 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 a pastime, a language, anything I can find, then I'll use that to insert myself in a community or I can get to know people. And Paul, so the fifth thing he had is he had time. Now this is interesting. Paul had time. It says, I have become, and the Greek tense for that speaks of permanence. I have permanently become. All things to all men. This wasn't something he was going to try for a weekend motivated by a sermon or, or a seminar. This was the way he lived. And don't you know, the more people you share the gospel with, the more people get saved. It's a matter of time. You just have to do it over and over. It has to be your permanent way of thinking about yourself. So he had time. And the sixth thing is he had determination. He was determined can, can I ask you another question? I know I ask a lot of questions. Is your faith valuable enough to you to share? If you don't value your faith, if you don't value your relationship with God, you're probably not going to share it. I mean, have you noticed that you, has have you ever recommended a restaurant to somebody? You said, man, you have got to try. We show up on the island, hey, you've got to try this restaurant. I mean, the food here is life-changing. It's so good. you got to go. Or, or there's this snorkeling spot, and you've got to go there. I mean, it's just an amazing snorkeling spot. You see, when something has touched your life, you naturally share it. Not like a salesperson, but like a satisfied customer. And if it's not valuable to you, Then you have some other questions to ask yourself. Why is my faith not worth sharing? Why is it not worth exchanging some time so that others can know what I know? I don't know where I'd be. Without Jesus Christ, I don't know where I'd be. He has changed my whole family, changed my marriage. I wouldn't be the father, the husband I am today if it wasn't for Jesus. My children wouldn't be who they are if it wasn't for Jesus. I certainly wouldn't be doing the job I'm doing. I'd still be a hoofsmith if it wasn't for Jesus. And and I want other people to know what I know. I want them to feel the peace that I feel. I want them to know the love that I know. And I am determined, and Paul is determined, if only I can get with people and maybe they can see God through me, then maybe they will love him. And maybe they will find their lives transformed. You have to be like a mosquito. You know mosquitoes? Mosquitoes don't wait for a hole; They make their own. So you have to be a mosquito evangelist. Don't wait for an opportunity. Make one. Do you know someone else who had this kind of determination? You know, it's a trick question. In church, the answer is always Jesus, right? What did Jesus do so that you could have relationship with the Father? He went from heaven, the comfort, the presence of the love of God in heaven. He humbled himself. He took on the likeness of human men. He entered into our world and he suffered in our world in the likeness of flesh so that we might see God. And that's so this is nothing new. This is Paul is just following the Jesus style of servant evangelism. That's all he's doing. Jesus came to serve and that's all Paul is doing. I asked you to mark Matthew 5 and we'll I'll make this brief and we'll we'll come to a conclusion here. Matthew 5:13 is a super appropriate verse for you. You know it already. Jesus says you are the salt of the earth. Whether you like it or not, if you're a believer, if you're saved, if you're a Christian, if you're a son or daughter of God, you and you alone are the salt of the earth. That's your identity. You might go, I don't really feel like being salt. Tough. You are. And there is no plan B. You are God's plan A for the salvation of the world. How do you like that? You are God's plan A for the people of this island. Now, One of the things we love about coming here is you have huge, humongous mounds, mountains of salt, and you can't get to them. They won't let you in. Did you notice that? I mean, last time we were here, we happened to come at the time when the salt ship had come, they loaded it up, and there were piles of salt on the ground, and we just loaded up our bags, and we just loaded up as much as we could. And uh, took it home with us because it and it is so good. It is so good. But what good does it do if it stays in a pile at one end of the island? It does no good. It has to be what? It has to spread out. Has to be in the restaurants and in the homes. And that's you, you, and you alone are the salt of the earth. And if it loses its flavor, then it's then it's good for nothing but to be thrown out. And trampled underfoot by men. So if how do you salt salt, how do you season salt? It's its nature. You, by nature, are the seasoning of the world you live in, and the purpose is for you to go into areas that need to be seasoned with the flavor of Christ. Not to hide in a big pile we call International Bible Church. We're just going to pile in more salt. People come here from other places. they're already believers. Let's make our salt pile bigger. That's not what we're about, bigger piles of salt. We're in a season in our church at home where we're sending salt out to other places in the world. Man, get them out of here. Go to places where nobody knows. So I'll I'll leave the rest of that verse. That's that's the, the idea there. Verse 23, he says, Now this I actively do for the gospel's sake, that I may be partaker of it with you. The final thing is he wanted to share in the experience He he knew that in life, there are some experiences that are meant to be shared alone. They're just for you. But aren't some things better when they're shared with other people? The other day, we had a chance to swim with spotted eagle rays. How cool was that? And I was sitting in my beach chair, and I saw my wife, who's a good swimmer, flapping her arms in the water. And I thought, what, she's not drowning. I know she can swim. What is that all about? And she was making a sign, like, it's a ray, it's a ray. So I swim out there so I could see this thing that she just wanted to share with me. Because then we can talk about it together. Then we can share the experience. Look, let me tell you this, and this is how I'm going to close. If you have found that your Christian life is getting stale, if you have found maybe you're not as vibrant or zealous as you used to be, you need some energy in your Christian life, Can, uh, let me tell you, guaranteed, if you begin to share your faith with other people, it will energize you for the experience of God. It will absolutely energize you. When you watch someone else enjoy Christ for the first time, all of a sudden you will feel energy come back into your life. It w- you, you won't be able to stop. You won't be able to stop. Has your walk with God gotten cold or stale? Maybe you're here for a reason today. Maybe the God and his word are encouraging you to be a servant evangelist. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Well, Heavenly Father, I do pray that as I've spoken and shared from your word, that you might encourage uh, that word, that that might go deeply into people's hearts, that you would give us the courage, the boldness, to actually find time and place to be with people who don't know you, to build relationships, even friendships with people who don't know you. We pray, Lord, that they would see Christ in us, that they would feel the grace, they would feel the love, they would feel the acceptance of who they are, and that they would be saved. It's in Jesus' name I pray, all God's people said, amen, amen.